Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, we are back for yet another episode. I'm here with a, a new friend of mine, Denise Karras. Thank you so much, Denise, for making time for the Boca Podcast today. Oh, of course. Thank you so much for having me. That's like the thing to say, right? Thank you for having me. <laughs> it, is kind of, it is funny how repetitive, I guess, the introductions <laughs> to podcasts can be. And I like that we're breaking the fourth wall already. I have to compliment you again. And I said this to you before we started recording. You've got a really great radio voice, podcast voice. Um, it's going to make my job even easier today. So so props to you for that. I know you didn't plan <laughs> that, but it's it's awesome. You mentioned that you're actually starting a, a YouTube channel, and I'd love for you just to share briefly, if you don't mind, what that's going to be about. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's a very new project. So I just published our seventh video yesterday. Okay. Uh, so it's been it's been up for about a month and it's it's really hard to network. I, I bet a lot of our like a lot of your listeners are gonna feel this way. Like it's hard to really network with people and like really build connections in our industry, you know, in the wedding industry. I, I got to the point where I was just offering everyone headshots and every everyone was like, No, every photographer offers us headshots. Like I don't we don't need more headshots. Hmm. Like that's kind of the, the cliche thing to do is that if you wanna work with a florist you contact her and you say, can I do your headshots? Or you say, can I do a styled shoot with you? And usually the answer is no, because that's what everybody does. So what I started doing was I started a YouTube channel called Engaged in Arizona. And I basically go and film artists in our area doing their thing. So this last one was of a florist here. Her name is Mandy. She's with Butterfly Petals. And she's a florist that I have been wanting to get to know and get to work with and didn't have the opportunity. So what we did was we filmed her assembling a bouquet and talking about different floral types, her favorite styles, and talking about floral budgets. So this is content for couples who are planning their wedding. So we want to kind of give that those videos make it valuable to like the the wedding industry on like the bride side. I hope that made sense. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, it totally makes sense. Yeah, I mean it- also we want to like it helps me to build relationships. It helps me to highlight people who are great in our industry. So like I think that it's a win-win-win, right? Our brides are getting something, the business owners get highlighted as an artist, and then I get to make those connections. Um so that's kind of the the direction that I wanted to to take. And are you videoing that yourself or do you, are you hiring somebody to come along and, and do the filming for you? How does that work? So I do the filming. Um, it was an easy transition. Like I'm not a brilliant like videographer, but I know what I'm doing with a camera. You know, uh, I know about exposure and composition. So, <laughs> so I, I'm doing the filming and then I have an editor that does the video editing because if there was one thing that I was not going to do, it was video editing. Fair enough. Well, I, I like the focus on adding value. And this is a point of conversation that comes up at the Boca podcast quite a bit. The significance of adding value to those, uh, you know, especially those who you want to work with. It's, it's one thing to, to go up to somebody, to a, a vendor, if you're a wedding photographer, for example, and 
express a desire to work with that person. But if they don't know you, I mean, mm-hmm. naturally, they're not necessarily going to be apt to automatically refer somebody to you. And I think a great place to start is to figure out a way to add value. And like you said, headshots, they may be a dime a dozen. That might be kind of cliche at this point. So trying to figure out a different way to add value to that vendor or to those vendors for the sake of hopefully developing a working relationship, I think this is a a great approach. And we'll make sure to link to the YouTube channel in our show notes. It's just, I I actually did a search on YouTube. It's just Denise Karras, but we'll link to that in the show notes along with your website as well. well. It's Denise, D-E-N-I. dot com. Same thing on Instagram. We'll put all these in the show notes. And uh, I I really appreciate you making time to come on the podcast today. Let's start with a question that we normally do here at the podcast, which is about time or more specifically a technique for time. So much of what we do at the Boca podcast centers around the significance of an efficient workflow. And I'm curious if there's something that you do in your day-to-day or week-to-week workflow that enables you to have a little bit of free time either for yourself just to kind of take a break or to focus on those things that are going to actually grow your business or ultimately grow your personal life even? Mm -hmm. So I really like that question because for eight years, I was a single mom who worked a full-time job and also took care of her own mother and was trying to grow my business. And my son was like four and now he's 12. Wow. So I had to, I had so much on my plate and my biggest advice on, on like time management is to try and make your time count for double whenever you can. Sometimes when my son needed attention, but I really needed to edit, like my son learned Photoshop. Like that was my way. Wow. Um, like spending time with my son, teaching him something and getting my work done. And sometimes when I hang out with friends, we make dinner so that I get friend time. I get to have dinner taken care of and we all get to eat together. So anytime that I can double up on my time, whenever I'm cooking, I also have like a podcast playing in the background. Or if I'm doing my makeup, I have a YouTube video up or there's always, I always try to do double. And I know a lot of people right now, especially are like be present in the moment, have one thing, have your attention. But to be honest, like there were some times that I just didn't have the luxury of that time to make that happen where every, one thing had my focus. I had to have my time count for double. So if you are like running stre- on like stress level for time management, try to make your time count for double. Sometimes you can even make it count for triple. You know, sometimes when I go to the gym, I'm also listening to a podcast or, you know, there's, there's so many different ways that you can, that you can make your time count for double. That's an interesting uh, point. You know, we, we have talked about the significance of or the potential detriment of multitasking here on the podcast, but I think you're right. There are ways in which we can take advantage of time. And the one that comes to mind for me that I've found significant benefit from is listening to an audiobook or podcast mm-hmm. in the car, whether it's for mm-hmm. entertainment or personal growth or otherwise. I think there are ways that we can intelligently multitask where you know, maybe that one activity doesn't require a ton of attention. And so yeah. most of your attention can still be directed toward the secondary 
thing. Fixing dinner, having a glass of wine with friends is um, such an enjoyable activity. And it is an opportunity to connect. I mean, you can have conversation while you're making the food. And now you have this experience, especially if you're creating something new, that can be a bit of an adventure in and of itself and a memory to look back on. So um, I I think you're right. I think there's an intelligent way to go about this. And especially for somebody who has a lot going on in their life, uh, there is opportunity to be able to capitalize on time intelligently and to potentially multitask intelligently. So this is an interesting point of conversation to begin us. Let's go a little bit of different direction though. And I want to hear from you one of the most impactful books that you've had the opportunity to read. And this could be on a business level or personal level, maybe a combination of both. What what comes to mind? Yes. Oh my gosh. So I don't this has probably been said a lot on the show, but it's that book. It's called You're a Badass by Jen Sincero. Yes. And there was she really hooked me. I mean she uh, uh, maybe a month after I read her book, I like quit my day job. I went full time into photography. Wow! I like jumped like headfirst. There was this one line that really stood out to me, and it. She said, "When it comes to changing your life, if you aren't scared, you're doing something wrong." And that's kind of the uh, the essence of her book. Is like, yes, it's scary, mm. but it's it's completely worth it. And so that book really hooked me. And as I was like kind of thinking about her book, an, a kind of a quote came to mind. I was in Washington, D.C. last week, and I was at the Lincoln Memorial, and I saw this little quote from Lincoln, and it said, the best thing about the future is that it comes one day at a time. Mm. That was also something that was really reassuring because I think so often photographers and, and creatives get caught up in like, 2019, like the whole year, what am I going to do this year? And it's like, all you have to do is really like try to impress yourself today. And then tomorrow, try to impress yourself that day and try to do something good for your business and good for yourself and good for your mental health. And, and Jen in, in her book talks a lot about that too, is like, you don't have to do everything today. It can be pieced out in these really wonderful bite-sized 24-hour blocks that were given. So both of those two things kind of were were on my mind when I heard your question. Oh, I, I really love that quote. And I'm going to have to go back and write that down at some point. But yeah. it, it speaks to the significance of um, not taking on so much that it overwhelms you, right? I mean, we've talked about this in the context of project management, for example. If, if you were to, to write down you know, go clean, I need to clean the garage, that in and of itself might seem overwhelming enough that you're going to put it off uh, because you know in your in your mind it's going to take three, four, five hours to do that thing. But if you were to break that up into multiple tasks that mm-hmm. are manageable yeah. that you can do in 10-minute or 15 or 20-minute segments and you've got five or six or eight or 10 of those tasks, now it's much more manageable and you can slowly but surely knock out each of the associated tasks and then you complete that project. And you're right, saying this is what I'm going to do in 2019 in and of itself might seem a bit overwhelming um, or at least difficult to accomplish if you don't break it down into bite-sized chunks. And so taking it a day at a time, the cool thing is we have sleep at the end of the day and hit the reset button too, which is really great. Um, mm-hmm. I really love that That kind of philosophy, that approach to, in a sense, being present. Um, You alluded to that idea earlier, and I I think that's a really healthy way to go about that. But I've got a question for you because I'm a huge fan as well of kind of taking a leap and building your wings on the way down, doing something that scares you, doing something that pushes you outside your comfort zone. But what's the balance between that and also at least a little bit 
uh, or intelligently planning, I guess you could say, when you go, when you take that leap? I mean, when you made that move from working a full-time job within a month's time frame to going full-time with photography, did was there planning involved to that? Were you just like one day, you know what, forget this, I'm quitting, I'm, I'm doing photography. <laughs> what did it actually look like? Was there a balance between the intelligent planning and then the, taking that scary leap? So... Oh, that's a crazy question. <laughs> because yes, there I mean, I I was stuck in my nine to five for nine years. Nine years I was saying I would really love to quit and go photography full time. Wow. And it never happened because I just thought, you know, was I I'm a single mom, I need a reliable paycheck, I need good health insurance. But I was so miserable and I I finally went to therapy and my therapist's name is Lisa and she is wonderful. And she, we talked about making changes Mm. that stick. And one of the things that she said was, um, because I, I kind of hold, like, I look at people who are industry giants, you know, the people who have 400,000 followers on Instagram and they're just like beloved and everybody, you know, flocks to them and they're so popular. And I think, well, you know, what they do is not what I do. And in order for me to be successful, I need to do what they do. And that's not always true. It's almost like setting yourself up for failure. So my therapist told me in order to make changes, you have to know yourself and you have to make changes that are consistent with who you are as a person. Otherwise, you're always going to be fighting against the grain. She said, so if you are clearly not a person who you know, can map out a six month plan, then that's probably why you're stuck in this nine to five for nine years, trying to work towards the same goal and not making really any progress. So she said, maybe you are a person who works better with a fire lit under you. Hmm. Uh, She said, maybe you're a person who makes things happen when they need to happen. And if they don't need to happen, then they don't. So I put myself in a position for the first time where I needed to make those things happen. Wow. And I realized that I wasn't going to, it wasn't going to work unless I did that. And another thing that I said to my boyfriend before I quit was, this is really scary, but I have to give myself credit. It's almost like, I I don't believe that you can make full-time income with part-time hours. So I was working an hour a day on my business And it wasn't like, of course, it wasn't getting me anywhere, right? Right. So I told him, it's kind of like going to the gym. If you go to the, if I were to go to the gym for six hours a day or eight hours a day, it would be really impressive for me to not see results. And I looked at it in the same way as my business. If I were to work on my business for eight hours a day, it would actually be impressive for me to not make any progress. Hmm. So I went in with that mindset of, you know, I'm, I'm never going to make full-time income with the part-time hours that I'm putting into my business. Wow. Okay. So there, you spoke to, well, a number of things there, one of which is knowing yourself. And, you know, this is a phrase that we hear quite a bit in in pop culture these days. And I, I can go different directions with that, that point in and of itself. But what I, what I do want to hone in on is the significance in context of that statement of knowing your strengths more specifically. Mm -hmm. And you pointed that out. I mean, there are certain tendencies that we have as individuals. I think that we can even change those tendencies if we understand the psychology that drives them. But Mm -hmm. the reality is we have those tendencies. Working with or within those tendencies 
is a quicker way to get things done. And uh, it's interesting that you point out, Denise, that you maybe had a tendency of needing a bit of a extra push, right? Kind of ha- having a fire lit under you in order to make significant change. Um, your therapist helped you get to the point where you realize that. And so you take that leap, you, you push yourself to the edge and ultimately you made it happen. How long ago was that? That, that was in November. Wow. So you just recently taken this leap and congratulations, yeah. by the way, I'm, I'm a huge yeah. fan of, of that mentality. And again, I'm not encouraging anyone to, to go take just blindly take a leap without <laughs> thinking about everything that might go into it, or at least the basics, especially when it comes to, to finances. But Yes. Well, let me, if I could speak to that for just a second, like I had set a goal that before I quit, I wanted to save up six months of income. Um, and I had been saving up that six months of income for nine years and it wasn't happening. And then I set a date to quit and it was about three months, right? Like I set my date and it was three months. And somehow in that three months, I saved up six months of income. Wow. I don't, I don't know where the money came from. <laughs> I have no idea. I had no idea that I could spend so little. And so when I gave myself that push, I did have a financial like cushion to help get me on my way the first few months. Mm. But I somehow, you know, versus nine years of not doing it and then three months of actually doing it, like you have the ability to impress yourself. Do I think that you should just quit tomorrow with no safety? No, but I do believe that some people work best when they know you know, a storm is coming or winter is coming if you're a Game of Thrones person. Yes. <laughs> so that's, you're right. There is like a certain factor, like we have to be responsible. And I know that you have to be responsible with your platform and you talk to people who are looking to looking to your podcast for advice. So you ha- you definitely have to be responsible about it. But taking a leap can sometimes, you know, push you a little bit further. You know what you're like now, like let's see how you are with a little bit of pressure is kind of the point of that. Yeah. Well, and there's, there's ultimately not going to be the so-called perfect moment to make that mm-hmm. change or to make that leap. I, I think there are way too many people uh, talking about things and I've certainly been guilty of this too, talking about things and not actually doing anything about yeah. them. It's easy to yeah. these days, right? We have all these social media platforms to just kind of blabber on. But at at the end of the day, if we're not doing anything with the content that we're consuming, the things that we're talking about, what's the point? So I I love the fact that you're an example of someone who has taken that leap, that you've gone for it. And uh, I'm your biggest fan and supporter. I hope that this works out at the greatest (laughs) level. Uh, that's really, really exciting. And I'm curious, actually, I mean, you've, you've been a photographer for, for quite some time at this point. What is one of the most important pieces, or I guess, lessons that you've learned that you might share with another photographer as a piece of advice? If you had 15, 20 seconds to, to share this piece <laughs> of advice, what would that advice be? Um, it would be probably don't wait for permission. Mm. from anyone. Um, you don't have the, you don't have the time, right? Nine years for me went by so fast. I was like 25 when it started. And like, I felt like I had all the time in the world, you know, Oh, I'm only in my mid twenties. I have all the time. And then now here it is nine years later. And I feel like I gave so much of that time to doubt and so much of that time to fear. And those are things that, you know, you never get back. So, 
I think that it's very hard to steer your attention away from that doubt and steer your attention away from that fear. But a harder alternative is going to be to wake up in you know 15 years and realize that you gave all your time to doubt and fear instead of possibility and creation and hope. So that would probably be my, my biggest advice. When our life kind of tends to go where we focus, where we put our focus and our attention, doesn't it? It's, and I totally know what you mean. There have been the last, I'd say seven years or so of my life have been very significant that I've learned and and grown through the timeframe, but I've also, I'm, I'm realizing how I could have grown even faster had, I mean, ultimately to your point, had my, my focus been in a different place or in different places, it's very easy, again, in this comfortable first world culture that we live in to fixate on a particular thing or things and build it up in our mind. And as a result, we waste a lot of time. And I'm so glad that you highlight that. Ultimately, we are in a great position to take a leap to make that change or those changes in our life and put ourselves in a much better place. And uh, again, kudos to you, Denise, for for doing that. This is a great, Thanks. great piece of advice. I'm on your website right now. Uh, again, denisecaris.com, and we'll link to this in the show notes for those of you listening in. I, I mentioned the show notes. If you listen to podcasts, you'll hear hosts mention, mention show notes, and I wasn't always sure where to find those. But if, you, if you're listening in, if you go to Boca, B-O-K-E-H, podcast.com, most podcast players now too, you can actually see the show notes in the player on the episode. Uh, but Haley, who helps produce the podcast, she puts together a wealth of information from these episodes. So make sure you take advantage of them. And that information will include links that we're mentioning today. And uh, so I'm at denisecaris.com. On the homepage, it says Denise Karras, Arizona wedding photographer. There are a lot of wedding photographers in Arizona. So I'm curious, what is your photography business's brand position? What's the unique selling point of your photography business at this point? Right now, I am all about physical products. So I, ha- I in every collection, I include a lot of printed products. And I'm that's my biggest thing. I like most people post, you know, a blog post the week after a wedding with some highlights. And what I do is I print off 25 prints and I mail them to the couple Whoa. So that within a week of the wedding. So the first time that they see their photos, they get to hold them. And I have kind of a slogan that I use, I guess, where it's to have and to hold, like literally hold your photos, hold your memories. So everything comes with and, and that's something that I do at the consultation is I have a little beautiful curated stack of the things that they'll get in their, just the base collection. And I kind of set it on their lap and say, this is everything that you get with at least this with each collection so that they can hold it and say, okay, this is like actual things. It's not just a gallery of pixels online. So that's probably my biggest like branding thing. Now, how do you effectively communicate this to a client or potential client? I mean, a lot of photographers, to play a little bit of devil's advocate, a lot of photographers are offering physical product. I will say, and I do want to come back to this too, This the 25 photos a week after the wedding is something very unique. But how do you communicate the difference, this different stance that you're taking on physical product to a potential client? I'm, I'm kind of a believer. Uh, I, I really buy into like Sue Bryce. I'm a Sue Bryce lover. And one of the things that she says is if somebody holds something, they want to take it home with them. Like if you can get somebody to touch the products, mm. they'll want one. Um, so it's kind of putting 
this, allowing them to like see their themselves in those products. So I like to encourage like holding, looking through things um, so that they kind of get attached to the products almost. And I try to make everything like really romantic. My studio is covered in like printed photos. So it's just... I feel like I do a pretty good job of making it seem unique, even even if it's not. And to be honest, I don't really know what other photographers are doing. I know that I have a, a few friends who kind of just do like a gallery and that's that's it. You know, they they shoot the wedding, they upload the files and they give them like a USB or something like that. I just really want my clients to to have products and printed things that they can have in their home. So it, it translates pretty well, I think. Well, and so I'm curious if you don't mind sharing, what does that workflow look like that enables you to deliver 25 prints to your clients the week after a wedding? Because I, I love this. You're right. So many, in fact, most photographers, if anything, they're either posting to social media and or to a blog. The idea of sending a physical product is it's such a, well, it's such a unique thing to do these days. So what does that workflow look like? How do you make that happen? Well, I'm, I mean, I'm, after I shoot a wedding, I'm excited to go through and like see my work. Like I, I love my work and I love, you know, the, the things that I create for my clients. So it's really like fun for me to go through and just find 25 of my favorites and, and get those, you know, edited and printed. I have, you know, I use photo mechanic for culling. I use Lightroom for processing. And then I use WHCC for printing. And they are so fast at delivering photos that I usually have them within a few days. And then I, you know, wrap them up all pretty and send them to my clients. So it usually is is just like one of the, as, as far as post-processing and like post-wedding tasks, it's probably the funnest part. That sounds really, really fun. I mean, I used to give, so I shot weddings for over 10 years and I would give a gift of a panoramic print. Now I, I didn't do it. I wasn't as cool as you and delivered it in a week, but I had a, a Russian panoramic camera that I would take to the wedding and I would photograph the client with this camera. And then mm-hmm. I'd have an eight by 20 print on, on like an art paper mounted on foam core and give that in a, in a box, a branded box. And it was mm-hmm. really fun to be able to give that to the client. So I, I can very much relate to what you're talking about. Are these your kind of typical standard prints? Are they printed with a, like a mat around them? Do you, do you do anything unique to them as far as the format is concerned or the type of paper being used? I do a little white border and that's it. So it's pretty much, you know, standard. It's nothing fancy. I, I put it, I wrap it in like a little ribbon. I mean, I try to make it pretty. I send it with a handwritten thank you card yeah. so that it's a little bit special, but they're not, you know, they're not the $25 like deckled edge prints or anything like that. They're, you know, the dollar prints from WHCC. So another thing that I do that, you know, listeners are more than welcome to adopt is um, I also send about three to five to the, each parent with a thank you, because I feel like parents are more like, are I found that parents are more likely to like, you know, feel really connected after receiving something, mm. you know, they kind of don't get a lot of wedding day love and yeah. they're likely the ones that paid for it. Right. That's so really I also, interesting. yeah, I also send um, a few prints, you know, and if, if it's to the bride's, mom and dad, I send, you know, one of the father daughter dance, I make sure that it's, you know, one of just the bride, and then one of the three of them. 
And then to the groom, I send one of like the mother son dance and then him alone. And then the three of them. So it's like, these are photos that I thought that you would want. I see people buying more prints when I do that. I see more, you know, sharing on social media from the parents when I do that. So that's something that costs me two bucks and it goes a really long way. A long way. I mean, I, I, I don't know how you're not shooting like 200 weddings a year with the <laughs> referrals that would come from that type of, that just that simple idea. And like you said, it doesn't cost you a lot, but you're mm-hmm. just making the effort and, and doing something that's extremely thoughtful. And mm-hmm. I'm sure it goes a really, really long way. I mean, this podcast episode is worth it just for that <laughs> idea. And uh, so for those of you listening in, this is something that you're going to want to maybe pay attention to. Of course, we'll link to WHCC uh, White House Custom Color um, as a lad that's been around for quite some time. We'll link to them in the show notes as well. And yeah. uh, I really appreciate you sharing that, Denise. That's really, really cool. Uh, tell us one of the most unusual pieces of gear in your camera bag, if you will. I, I guess I don't have unusual camera gear, but one thing I do carry that people think is weird <laughs> is a baggie of pills, like allergy pills and Tylenol and aspirin yeah. and and people see it and they're like, what? Because it's like <laughs> a little sketchy, maybe. <laughs> it looks a little sketchy because it's like a mixed bag. Yeah. Um, like if it was like in a Tylenol bottle or something, maybe they wouldn't think. But right. at least once a wedding, it, well, in the spring, somebody comes up to me and says, Do you have any allergy pills? And I always say, Yeah. And I take out this bag and hand them a little white pill and they're like, Is this? Is this legit? (laughs) (laughs) And um, so that's probably the weirdest thing that I carry. And thank God I haven't had any. I don't know. I'm like, I feel weird giving people pills, even if it's just aspirin. I don't know. If you're sneezing a lot, I, I can help you out. Yeah, well, but there again, it's it's the little things sometimes that can make a big impact, right? I mean, even if it's if you're whether you're carrying some allergy pills or some aspirin or you know a bag of gummy bears or whatever it might be, the little things that you can give to somebody there on the wedding day because they're hungry or they're hurting or their allergies are killing them or whatever it might be. Um, sometimes it's the little things that can go a long way and kind of furthering that relationship, them feeling a little bit more of a personal connection with you. Yes. Uh, I, I love that. I love the attention to detail like that. That's, oh, that's yeah. really, really when you great. can like, when you can be the one that saves the day, Yeah, do it. Like 100%. I also carry like shout wipes, Yeah, you know, if somebody spills on themselves or something, you know, those things are magic too, yeah, by the way, for those of you who have not used these things, they're seriously magic. Like you can have a stain on something, use those shout wipes on there. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the stain just kind of miraculously goes away. It's the craziest thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. So there's some extra tips for those of you listening and <laughs> make sure you're taking notes. And, <laughs> and speaking of notes, let's jump into kind of our, our main topic for today, which has to do with the significance of consistency. And you actually wrote a blog post about this some time ago, a little while back. And, um, there was an illustration in this article and we'll link to this article in the show notes too, for those of you who are curious and want to read uh, the article in full, but you mentioned an illustration about a Starbucks barista. And I'm wondering if you might explain that here on air for our listeners. Yeah. So everybody, I mean, everybody has a Starbucks order and mine is an iced white chocolate mocha decaf with whipped cream. Nice. Yes. So that's, my, that's my Starbucks order. And I, I go there because it's anywhere I go in the whole country, that drink tastes the same every time. It's that consistency that keeps me coming back. And I, mm. and I thought for a minute, what if there was like a Starbucks barista back there 
And he was like, I am so fabulous. I only create drinks from my soul. Um, Whatever mood I'm in, that's what kind of drink you'll get. Like that's probably really good for him, but it would be really bad for you. Like you would never go back there if you had no idea what you were going to get. So consistency across the board is something that we value constantly. And, and it's, you know, when, when I drink Pepsi, I, I am hoping that it's going to be familiar. Right. Right. And, and this, again, this is something that I think about all the time in the times that I value consistency. And so even though we're artists, there's a bit of a struggle between being an artist and running a business where people know what they're going to get. And it's especially hard for us because our clients are buying something that hasn't been created yet. Hmm. So in order for us to reassure them that it's going to be something that they're going to love, we have to be able to create consistent work for them. Well, so let's get more specific, more tangible. What are a couple of examples of how photographers are kind of being that barista? Um, and, mm-hmm. I, and I love that phrase that you use about feeding their soul. I mean, this is this is something I feel like I maybe read a photographer's blog or the, the about section of their website when, when you use that phrase. Are there a couple of tangible examples of, of how you see photographers kind of being that barista in our industry right now? Yeah, I mean, there's my my nine to five job that I worked for nine years was actually at a website hosting company. So I looked at websites all day long. And when there was a photography website, I would pause and give them a few extra minutes and like kind of look through Hmm. just to, I mean, because that's what you do. You're like, oh, this is my industry. Let me see what they have going on. And um, I remember one in particular, she was a boudoir photographer and her first photo was incredible. And I thought, oh, awesome. I'm going to get to look through this awesome gallery and, you know, really admire their work. And then the second photo was like, not so good. So it immediately made me think that the first photo was a fluke, Mm. right? And then the third photo was of a dog. And I was so confused. (laughs) Then the fourth photo was of a landscape. And then we were back to boudoir for like three more and then we were done. And I just remember thinking this person has to have lost so many clients from this gallery because there's there it's, it was so inconsistent. I didn't even know what I was looking at. Like if I'm imagining myself like doing something super sexy for my groom to be, and then I see a photo of like a pug like I'm not, I'm just going to be confused and leave, right? <laughs> yep. And I saw that so many times and that one definitely stands out because it was the most random, hmm. but I see that I do, I do see that all the time. So that's, that's one. And then, so basically inconsistent, like galleries that are inconsistent in the representation of yeah. that photographer's work, or maybe even more specifically the brand position. If that photographer is claiming to be a boudoir photographer, but then they're showing you know, four different genres of photography in that gallery, like you said, it would be confusing. Right. And, and that's definitely something that I see a lot Mm. in, in photography. Another thing that I see a lot is like when you get, when photographers get a new preset and they just completely overhaul their editing style. Mm, Yeah. I always say, if you want to change your style, you have to like ease into it. Like Taylor Swift, (laughs) like how she went from country to pop. It wasn't all in one album. It wasn't like, Hey, I'm a country star and here's my pop album. She like over nine years, like, and three different albums. Interesting. Kind of, I don't like, I was there for all of it. (laughs) I'm a huge fan. Yeah. 
I was like, gosh, hey, a pop song in a country album. That's cool. And then it kind of went to like, this is kind of a pop slash country album. And then the next one was like, she just had one country song in a whole pop album. So like it, she did the transition very slowly. And I think that if we want to change our style, it's, you have to do it slowly so that people don't just like your whole client base doesn't just like freak out. That's an interesting point. And by the way, you mentioned Taylor. I actually took my daughter to a Taylor Swift concert a number of years ago. It was seriously one of the most impressive productions that I've ever seen. Uh, I know. Just a little side note there. But it's a really (laughs) interesting point that you make too. You're right. That transition didn't definitely didn't happen overnight. And photographers can be very trigger happy when it comes to to changing their so-called style, which is really just, hey, I bought a new Lightroom preset pack and I want to test this out on all these new images I'm putting up online or whatever the case may be. But the significance of a slower transition so that, as you say, you don't confuse um, your fan base or potential fan base. Uh, That's a really interesting point. You've already alluded to this, but how do you think this inconsistency ultimately hurts photographers? I mean, I am somebody who, this is probably a topic that I'm really passionate about because I struggle with it so much. And I struggle with it so much because I'm very easily inspired. Hmm. I'm, I'm just in everything. I'm a huge musical theater fan and movie buff. Like I just love art in all forms. And so I'm, I'm very easily inspired. And so it is a struggle again, between being an artist and running a business. And I just, I think that ultimately, like if you want to make money, if you want to book clients, they have to know that your folio, you know, your online galleries aren't just a one-off or a fluke that you can consistently create this, these images, um, no matter what you're given, that you know how to how to work with your subjects, that you know how to work with everyday people, not just models. Um, so there's and and every time you post an image, you have an opportunity to strengthen that belief hmm. or kind of knock it down a few notches. So you have the opportunity essentially to inspire confidence or not, because yes. human beings have the ability to recognize patterns, right? That's something that we're just innately good at as a general rule. And while Mm -hmm. our clients or potential clients, most of them probably aren't photographers or artists. They're not going to notice those nuanced differences between the editing style of one image or another. If you do make a significant shift in that style, or you have a wide range of genres and they're trying to figure out what it is that you actually specialize in, you could potentially cause confusion, as you pointed out. So mm-hmm. let's let's go to the practical solution or solutions here then. Will you share a few ways, practical ways, that photographers can more effectively develop a consistent pattern in the work that they're producing? Yeah, absolutely. So some of these are a little bit more specific and some are a little bit more vague but or you know broad. I advise to pick a signature image. Like what is your signature image? If there could be one image that would Hmm. communicate your brand and your style, pick that image. And then every image that you show should either strengthen that image or complement it or elevate it. Um, If it doesn't, then don't show it. It doesn't mean that it's a bad image or that you don't love it or maybe even include it in the client gallery. It's just what you show online. So I would advise to pick a signature image and make that image your baseline. I love that, actually, because you said that and pretty much immediately there was a particular image that came to mind. My (laughs) my, My favorite image that I ever photographed as a wedding photographer that's a really great recommendation. Uh, do you think there, I mean, I, I see photographers' uh, tendency, at least in some cases, to 
even get their their perspective confused. And, and more specifically, what I mean is they'll see maybe an, an image or a set of images, a series of images, and not realize that they're processing inconsistently even within that, that set of images. Do you think mm-hmm. there's a, a possibility that in this effort to match that signature image, you can get confused? How can you avoid that? I think that at least for me, I like, I love scrolling through Instagram grids. Okay. And if, if my eye can kind of like travel over and not be pulled in a thousand different directions, yeah. just like see it as one cohesive story. I think that that is something that, that really helps me. So um, I use plan. I don't know how, even how to say it. Plan Yes. Planoly. Uh-huh. And that gives me, you know, an overview of my grid and I can scroll and kind of rearrange from there and, and make sure that every image is holding up. And again, that's something that I have to work on because constantly, I have to constantly remind myself like, Hey, you can't show this image. It doesn't fit. And uh, another part of my brain is like, but it's beautiful. And, uh, and I have to go back and forth. So it's, it's a definitely a struggle, but maybe c- keeping a folder of like signature images or images that I love or mm. images that, you know, really the, this is the type of, like, I, I, I think that my work really shines in like farm style settings. So a lot of my signature like images are all of like farm, like with lots of trees and like, you know, things like that. So maybe try to find out where your work looks the best. Well, and and you, you know, we were talking about the significance of patterns and recognizing patterns and Instagram really is a great place to to capitalize on that idea. Planoli or planoli, however, like you said, however you say it, um, is, is also another platform on which you can do that. But I'm, I'm on your Instagram page right now. And for those of you listening in, you can check it out. It's just Denise Karis, D-E-N-I-S-E-K-A-R-I-S. We'll link to it in the show notes as well. There's definitely a beautiful consistency there. And, you know, while some may, may say, well, hey, I don't need to spend all kinds of time being pretty just for the sake of Instagram, the significance in the consistency of your Instagram feed, I think is very relevant to the conversation at hand, which is the importance of consistency for your potential clients, being able to see that style consistently, knowing what it is that you produce, that you can do so in a, in a range of locations. Even if you know that the farm setting is your ideal, that you can still produce that look in a range of locations. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's really, really great. And uh, so that's, that's good. So pick a signature image and then match it. I think that's a really practical, tangible way to go about improving consistency. What's, what's another one? Another one that kind of follows that same line is I'm, I'm a big fan. This is something that I did really early on is that I would put into words what I, what you love about your work, um, like write it down. And this is something that I did when I first started photography was I would put into words what I loved about other people's work. I would say, you know, clean light, really mild backgrounds or, you know, not busy backgrounds, straight horizons, you know, soft backlighting, just the more that you can identify, you know, in your brain, what you're seeing that you like or what you don't like, yes, like the easier it is to just kind of train your eye to pick up those things naturally. And it's the same with creating a consistent Instagram grid. Yes. It's a pain in the beginning, but the more you do it, the more your, your brain and your eye is trained to, to make that happen naturally. So it's, it is, it is difficult in the beginning, but it gets easier. And the same with putting into words what you like or don't like about an image. Once you kind of create a box for yourself, that's when you can think outside of the box, you know? This is, this is a really interesting point. And I would even kind of expand on it and suggest to those listening in, not only 
be able to describe in words what your look is, but be able to do so ideally in just a sentence or a phrase. And and the significance of that, it doesn't have to be exactly that. Maybe it's two sentences, but I think there's a tendency. And, and I mean, I do it verbally as a host. I have a, a bad tendency that I'm actively working on of trying to minimize the number of words that I use in order to communicate an idea because I can ramble. I know that photographers, just having worked with so many photographers through the years at Photographers Edit, photographers, when they're communicating their style, have a tendency, at least in some cases, to kind of over-communicate. And, and I think a lot of where that comes from is maybe not being completely clear on what their style even is to begin with. Mm-hmm. So taking the time to verbalize what that style is, I think is a really great recommendation, Denise, because it'll help them not only conceptualize, but hopefully make more concrete um, the mm-hmm. the idea that is driving their style. And if they can effectively or more specifically efficiently communicate that style then they're going to be clearer on it. It will enable them to be more consistent in the finished product that they're producing. So that's a, that's a really great piece of advice. I, I think you've got three. What's, what's the last one that you've got in <laughs> mind here? Something that photographers can do to improve the consistency of their work. So the last one is to, this is, this is a little bit more broad, but you have to learn to let other people be different without it affecting your style. Uh, something that I can like, I think everybody can relate to is like, do you ever go to Target and you see like a new line and you want to redecorate your whole house? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, not, I, not yes, that I personally like to redecorate my whole house, but I totally know what you mean. Yes, yes. <laughs> and it's impractical, right? You can't right. redecorate your whole house every time you go to Target. So what we do is we buy one pillow, you know, a plaid pillow. And you're like, gosh, that plaid is really pretty. And you bring it home and you put it in your house and it looks awful in your house because that's not your style. And I feel like that's, that's kind of what we do with photography is we see something on somebody else's page, you know, maybe something, I would see something really dramatic and I would, as an artist say, I want to create something like that. And so I do, I take my camera and I go and I make something like that and I edit it all moody and I stick it on my Instagram and it looks completely out of place. Right. So a big part of it is just learning to appreciate other style without thinking that it has to be your style. Well, and I think what might be helpful in, in this realm, and I'm not even sure completely what it looks like. Maybe you have some thoughts on this, Denise, but this reminds me of, I mean, certainly tendencies that I've had in my life. It goes outside of the photography industry, my personal life, to be easily distracted by the, the, the next prettiest thing. I mean, this was the case even with, um, I ride motorcycles. This has become a hobby of mine and something I've gotten into quite a bit over the last two or three years. And, um, you know, I, I would purchase a mo- motorcycle and then I'm looking already at the next coolest motorcycle that I might want to purchase. Yeah. And this, this definitely holds true when it comes to photographic styles. But I think that something, I mean, certainly that has helped me on a very personal level is to be very clear about the underlying values that drive my behavior. So instead of just kind of letting the wind guide me where it will, mm-hmm. I can... I can be very clear about the big ideas that are driving my life, my behavior on a day-to-day basis, and ultimately the choices that I'm making. And that helps encourage clarity. It helps minimize distraction. Or even if I'm temporarily distracted, I can come right back to those values, the significance of those values, and then ultimately let those values filter my behavior. 
mm-hmm. something that we talk about here on the podcast quite a bit is this idea of a big picture view. The, these overarching goals that are driving our personal lives, which ultimately should filter down to the business model that we create, which should then filter down to even something potentially as specific as our photographic style. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, is are, should there be some underlying bigger ideas that drive even the style of photography that we create? So that's something that I do. So I don't want people to paint themselves into a box and stay there with consistency. Like I, there's definitely an artist soul inside of all of us that has to be fed, you know, kind of a creative breath that we need to take every once in a while. So I call it stretching. And when I'm at a shoot and I'm sure that I've gotten everything, if there's time, I will kind of swing for the fences and do something different that I've never done before or try something a little bit more creative than I am comfortable with. Okay. And sometimes my favorite images come out of those. Sometimes my least favorite images come out of those, <laughs> those times. Um, but it allows me to still serve my client, but also kind of stretch my wings a little bit. So that I'm not feeling, you know, suffocated, like, oh, I'm just shooting the same stuff. I can never grow, you know, what 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 is life, all that stuff. So <laughs> so I I I I encourage photographers to kind of like maybe do like 90% your style and 10%, you know, a swinging for the fences. Type. I like it. Or creating a style shoot. There was one time that I really wanted to create a bridal shoot with like a bird. And I did, I did in my dining room. I like had a model come in and I rented a a dove and I like put it on her head and it was like totally weird, but it's one of my favorite sessions ever. And that kind of thing, like kind of keeps me fed. It keeps me going. It keeps me inspired so that when I go out into like a real session or a real wedding, I can kind of feel a little bit, you know, limber in what I can create. It doesn't have to be all or nothing, right? I, th- I think that's, right. A, that's a great point. Um, no need to, to go to the extremes. But mm-hmm. I, I think the principles that you're talking about here are really important. Stick with those principles for the sake of consistency at least 90% of the time, and then maybe 10% of the time, go rent a bird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there we go. That's really great. This has been a really great conversation, Denise. And uh, I, I really appreciate you making time to share with the Boca Podcast listeners. Will you just remind us one more time where we can find you online and on social media so that our listeners can follow you. Yes, absolutely. So you can find me at denisecaris.com or on Instagram at denisecaris. I also recently blogged every day for a hundred days for photographers and you can find a directory of that. Um, if you just go to denisecaris.com slash photographers. Um, and then also once a month, because I'm so new to, you know, I'm in my fifth month of being full time. Each month, I blog something that I learned for the month. So if you want to follow along for my first year or however long that goes, um, my blog is just denisecaris.com slash blog. Wow, that's awesome. And and thank you truly for adding value to the industry. Um, I mean, the idea of 100 blog posts, it, I, I went to this directory that you were talking about, and it's truly impressive. I mean, 100 blog posts with information that are that is potentially going to be helpful to our listeners is a massive value add. And I can't thank you enough for, for sharing that, for creating that, and then sharing that ultimately. Of course, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. Thank you also for sharing on the podcast today and making time for the Boca listeners. Thank you so much. It's been really fun talking to you. (laughs) 
Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. Thank you.